You're listening to Our Tunes. Music appreciation and digital media discourse. Welcome to Our Tunes. I'm Lewis. I'm Brad. It's a special On the Road episode. We're in Providence, Rhode Island, visiting with our friend Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey. Good to be here. Ben, what what you been listening to? Recently, I am getting pretty big into new age, ambient music. You guys have been here for a couple days. I'm playing a lot of necks for you. when I listen to music, so anything that doesn't have lyrics has really been interesting to me. Good Brad. for uh, a chill-focused vibe. Good for chill focus, yeah. yeah. Brad, what have you been listening to? I was going to say last Sunday I had a very uh, relaxing Sunday morning. The sun was shining through our bay windows, and I really enjoyed this album by Steve Earle, Towns Van Zant, and Guy Clark. Uh, it's called Together mm. at the Bluebird Cafe. Is it a live album? It is a live album, mm. sometime in the 90s. And I had seen the Steve Earle concert last fall. Uh, he was with Emmylou Harris and a, f- a few other artists. And mm. I just loved the format where they kind of took turns doing songs. And, you know, they when the person whose song they were doing, they would, you know, talk a little bit, banter. But the other musicians would accompany. You know, it sort of sounds like that's the format here. And it was just, it's really cool. And I mean, like, three really great musicians sharing the stage. I love Towns Van Zandt. So I'm partial to Poncho and Lefty. Living on the road, my friend. It's gonna keep you free and clean. Skin like iron, your breath's as hard as kerosene. You weren't your mama's only boy, but her favorite one, it seems. She began to cry when you said goodbye. I kind of felt like I was there. There was good energy. So that was like my highlight of the week. That sounds really cool. I've been digging into this new Destroyer album called mm-hmm. Labyrinthitis, which is a condition of your inner ear like inflammation that's what that title refers to but this album is like kind of dark disco like dense and yet fun he really likes to deliver some pretty dark lines a lot of the time it's a really fun listen i was pretty taken with june incredible groove i'd be lying if i didn't say fortune's wheels just for show in this brutal turning nothing changes the cold light of day Fancy language dies, and everyone's happy to see it go. A snow angel's a fucking idiot, somebody made. A fucking idiot, someone made in the snow. We are in Providence with Ben, and Ben is also a uh, big fan of digital music library collecting. Absolutely. Before iTunes, it was Music Match jukebox and Winamp before that, but over the years I've kept a consistent iTunes library through the rebranding from iTunes to Apple Music. 
But just change things a little bit. Just change things. I, I'm unable to provide you some important statistical information uh, <laughs> because of those limitations. I've been publicly shamed at my workplace uh, because wow. people have assumed me to be an Apple Music subscriber because the branding is now inseparable from the application. Sure. But, you know, when iTunes came out, it was amazing. And I have lots of great memories in college of the, you know, music swap with yeah. the external hard drives and just spend some time and pull anything that you think you might possibly be interested in. I, I keep a iTunes library to this day. If I could even just share, uh, Ben and I go way back to high school days mm -hmm. where I know we swapped CD cases. We did swap CD cases. Um, <laughs> I feel like you really bolstered my uh, Beatles collection. I th it was really like my introduction to many Beatles albums. Mm -hmm. Revolver, Sgt. Mm -hmm. Pepper. My father had like the greatest hits Beatles uh, record. Yep. It was like, but the volume one. Please me. The red, like, like the red one, yep. I think. Yep. Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like good, but... They, latter days they, they went great. very far from there yeah for sure <laughs> when well, um, we exchanged music at such a young age we kind of were in some sense avatars of our parents yes. our, our dads most specifically <laughs> yeah. so you introduced me to black sabbath yes rush all that awesome hard rock stuff you know my parents were a little bit more hippy dippy the new age stuff even back then andreas Vollenweider. i don't know it stuck with me I don't find it corny. I think a lot of people find that new age music very corny sometimes, but it's, it's part of who you are, though. Struck me as like it's just for relaxation. I remember those CD cases well. You had quite a CD collection. I think you had one of those wall-mounted CD cases. Mm. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I looked up to you. A lot of jewel cases. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> well, physically, I looked up to you. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just think it's cool that Brad brought like hard rock into your life. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think you and I have some more overlapping tastes and sense of like guitar-driven like rock music. The other side, not just the uh, new age side, I would say that Ben brought into my life was like kind of indie rock music. Yeah. I was very much not prepared for that in my life. It's not that my parents were like, anything outside of classic rock is not good. For some reason, I had this mentality of like, they don't make good music anymore. The, the purest. <laughs> yeah, mindset. I don't even know where it came from. I remember Ben showing me Sonic Youth mm -hmm. in high school, and I was like, what is this noise? And I think you were like, <laughs> it took exactly. some time for you to accept it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Sonic Youth came to me as uh, music from my sister's boyfriends. Shoot, my sister's 10 years older than me, so you know, that 90s, early 2000s thing. And to, to your point, Lewis, we met at a time later in life where we kind of shared a lot of that indie rock interest, guitar-driven rock. Yeah, it's a journey where we're constantly evolving and changing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's cool to meet, you know, throughout your life you meet people who are connected in some different way through that music. Yeah. And to have a, a library to just sort of lay it out there. And share, because yeah. sharing is a very personal thing. Even if you're just sharing digital files, it's like... You had them collected for a reason. Maybe they mean something to you. And the podcast, I feel like, is really about sharing music mm -hmm. with each other. Yeah, I love that. So thanks for being a part of it, Ben. Big fan of the show. Thanks. <laughs> with that segue into digital music libraries, why don't you give us some stats of, of your library? Can you actually give me the stats? Because I, I can, think I yeah. gave them so to you we, earlier. In the yeah, we stacked up some hard data from Ben's library. We were able to count gigabytes. Ben's looking at... 139.3 gigs mm -hmm. of music, featuring 576 unique artists, 14,317 songs. That's right. 
probably down from a earlier peak when I was more obsessed with music because I still like to have my entire iTunes library synced to my phone, my iPhone. Space limitations there. I still have to buy the 256. Yeah. I'd love to get down to 128 at some point in my life. But when I look through that, each one of those albums means something to me. I try to keep away from maintaining like individual songs. Mm-hmm. It's a little too much management, but album-wise, I could see myself sitting down and listening to each one of those. So out of curiosity, was there any like genres that just went away? I had a big folk period, which I've held on to a few things of, mm-hmm. but six different versions of Blackwater Side, I don't need. Yeah, um, folk, folk met purge. Yes, Yeah. folk purge. You mentioned the Mountain Goats earlier. Mm-hmm. I used to have the whole collection, and it's just... It's massive. It's so much, too. It's a lot. That's the thing. And it just doesn't speak to me in quite the same way. It's not something I'm going to sit down casually to listen to, because yeah. it's a very involved... You gotta be in the mood. Listen. Like, I love, you know, sad or emotionally fraught music, and it's hard to just, like, chill out and listen to the Mountain Goats yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. As I get older, my music, I think, gets a little bit more casual. I would say I have culled my library at intervals over time, and, like, whenever I look at whatever file folders or transfer my library to a new computer, I'm like, what am I missing? Because I'm, like, subconsciously aware of, like, what I have culled, what I've lost in the past, even though... I'm not missing it, for sure. I'd be open to it. It just seems like it would just be so time-intensive, and you are focusing on things that you don't want anymore. You're kind of orienting yourself to things that you're ready to let go of, and I feel more inclined to spend my time looking for things that uh, are interesting to me. So I don't have a problem with calling things like records because that's more of a physical yeah it takes up space space. it has weight there was probably a point in my life where i was like i should just listen to every single album in my (laughs) from beginning to (laughs) from the beginning to the top to the bottom we'll just do it in like a year and like i'll get through the a's and it'll be like october and i'll be like oh no that is exactly what i did at the beginning of the pandemic and i did get all the way through i had dreams of starting a website in which each one you know a daily diary of your listening but that's a little bit too much that's ambitious yeah i have about eight hours a day to listen to music with what my work is so i was able to get through that before 2021 and that included a lot of culling because pretty soon that you understand you know this was speaking to a different version of who i am now and i will also admit that i know there's a lot to be culled from Mm -hmm. my library the accumulation of music that wasn't quite right for me was the torrent of the complete discography of different bands yeah did a lot of that and um, completism and purism i think is a a thread that we can all claim a little bit yeah i suffered from some completist problems and then that includes the b-sides the eps the mono version so one thing that i've reflected on while we're talking about itunes over so many episodes is the reason I hang on to some of this stuff is it's not available anywhere else. I can't easily find it without buying a CD online. If I have it in my library, then I have the availability to listen to it. And some of these things are not on Spotify. I was piecing together some playlists that I had in my iTunes and kind of putting them in on Spotify. And I found a couple tracks specifically that I was unable to locate. These playlists go back to like 2008, an era when I think I made a lot of iTunes playlists. But specifically, I found singer-songwriter Jens Lechman, mm. who's a you know great like Swede pop guy. Yeah. He has a lot of albums that are on Spotify, but the one that I like was really taken with that made me fall in love with his music was You're So Silent, Jens. 
which is a pretty melancholic album. It's got a lot of really sad songs, but also some really banging kind of pop hits. Um, the song Black Cab, probably the biggest single off of that record, and you can't find it on Spotify, even though most of his discography is there. Oh no, goddamn, I missed the last tram. I killed the party again. I'll start with uh, one that it always gets me because when you search, it's there. It's there. And yeah. I click on it and it's all grayed out. Yeah. And that is. Mm. Uh, That's tantalizing. That is the self titled album by Jaco Pistorius. Great electric bass guitar player. You know, he was in Weather Report and he put out this solo album where he got this ensemble of great jazz musicians, Herbie Hancock, the Brecker Brothers, and the only song that is available, there's one song available, it's Donald Lee, like his take on like the jazz standard, I think it's a Charlie Parker tune, and it's just him on bass playing the whole song. It's a really great album. It, the guy's the greatest jazz bass guitarist, in my opinion. Check it out. It's a, it's a really good album. Ben, do you have any uh, off the top of your head? I've got a couple. One goes back to that discography bulk download process. Sure. I tried in my teenage years to really get into contemporary classical music, specifically Charles Ives. We were talking about him recently. In one of those bulk discographies, there's an album called Prototype. The tags say it's by Charles Ives, but it's this sort of ambient, guitar-driven, clearly not a 20th century composer. It does appear in the ASCAP registry, so you can find it on the internet. Uh I found music blogs that have talked about it. Charles Ives' Prototype from apparently 2007. to emulate some of the guitar sounds in it can't be found on spotify can't be found in a lot of places a little little gem in there a diamond in the rough yeah and none of charles ives's official recorded material really stayed in my library after the call was he also the musician playing or was it someone else i think it's a completely unrelated charles ives which fell into this discography set interesting or someone masquerading as charles ives sure i don't know that's one that I still listen to and stays on the phone. An unexpected find. A hugely unexpected cool. find, yeah. Another notable one I feel like is this Frank Ocean album that producer Rob Hughes uh, turned me on to, which is Endless, which was the album he put out the same day as Blonde. It was like his last release on Island Records. It a contract, Island Def Jam. His contract fulfilling record, and then he went off and made his own records on his own label. But that's an amazing album of like sketches of songs that seem to be really fully realized. 
He came up in Dallas, had no hazel in his eyes Had them sailors on his thighs, but he's lady Sean Captivated on the side, we were seeing someone We was dating on the side, we were seeing double I was spinning hula, we were spending so much time It was getting cooler I also found on the Destroyer kick that I've been on, I found a cover album of Power, Corruption, and Lies by New Order mm. by a bunch of indie artists of the mid-2000s. And one of my favorite songs off that album is Leave Me Alone, and Destroyer does a cover of it. On a thousand islands in the sea I see a thousand people just like me a hundred unions in the snow I watch them walking, I watch them falling We live always underground It's gonna be so quiet in here tonight A thousand islands in the sea, it's a shame I think it was released in like 2012, but can't find it anywhere. That's kind of a little treat. You have one more, Brad? Yeah, I got one more. Oh yeah, And this was it. one... This was a throwback, you know, when we started doing this little project. I had not really been looking at my iTunes library. It just was tucked away. I found this one album that I was like, wow, like, I gotta put this on my Spotify. I haven't thought about this in years, and it wasn't on there. And it's this band, Studio, and they had this album called Yearbook One that came out in 2007-ish. electronic music, no vocals from Sweden. I feel like it was like the first time I ever really got into like really electronic trance kind of music. It's one that if I find it in a record store, I'm gonna buy it. This is homework. For homework this episode, I assigned Brad the collaborative album of MF Doom and Madlib. Their project is called Mad Villain, and this album is called Mad Villainy. It came out in 2004. I remember it was like one of the first CDs I bought. I was a sophomore in high school. And why did you buy it? Like, what led you to it? I was kind of taken with the mythology a little bit, but I was also reading a lot of webcomics and blogs where artists and critics were, like, sharing tastes. So I think I picked it up on one of them. I think it's just, like, so striking in a way that other hip-hop hasn't really hit me. So I was definitely nervous when you assigned this to me. Hip-hop is unfamiliar territory for me. In the vein of homework, it kind of made me feel like when I took AP English in 12th grade. So when I listen to music generally, lyrical content is just not something that I, I have to really, really, really focus on because otherwise I'm just very happy in all cases to just focus on the instrumentation. Hip hop has that for sure. Generally speaking, it's very lyrically driven. Madvility, 
I was aware of it and I was aware of MF Doom, but I had never really sat down and listened to this album. And let me tell you, I was trying to make sense of the lyrics. Lyrically speaking, like, it's just pouring out some of the craziest lines. The words sound great together, but I've listened to, like, earlier hip-hop where it's, like, a little easier to, like, follow what it is that the yeah. song is about. There's more stream of consciousness. It's yes. really, like, spitting There you out. go. Yeah. Great description. Probably the first thing, though, that I listened to when I was listening to the album was kind of reminded me of music I've heard by Jay Dilla. It's so sample heavy. The most enjoyable part for me in listening to this album, the real collage of beats and samples that are put together, I think mainly by Madlib. In terms of the album, I think there's probably like 18 to 20 some tracks and they're all short, 50 seconds to like maybe three minutes max. So in terms of songs that really stuck out to me, Figaro. Rest is empty with no brain, but the clever nerd, the best MC with no chain you ever heard. Take it from the Tech Nine Hola. David, don't know they next shine from Shinola. Everything that glitter ain't fish scale. Let me think, don't let a faint get it smell. A shot of Jack out of back, it's not an axe stack. Forgot about the cackalack, holla back, clack, clack, blocker, villainy. Your English class metaphor was really apt because I think the like amount of poetic nature that this has, right? There's so much mystery. There's so much wordplay. It's more about that than it is about telling a story flowing in a way that's familiar. Madlib did rap on this in some mm -hmm. few tracks and Shadows of Tomorrow was one. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Yeah. The light of the past is the light which was. The wisdom of the past is the light of the past. The light of the future was the light which is to be. The wisdom of the future was the light of the future. See, yesterday belongs to the dead. Tomorrow belongs to the living. The past is certified as a finished product. Anything which is ended is finished. It's more thoughtful, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's like a song that actually has like a theme. I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down. Okay. Uh, with the the beats specifically 2004 when this came out you and me brad were not listening to rap music really in any amount learning about rap music happened in college for me through mad lib and jay dilla specifically there's that documentary about mad lib when he went to brazil Ooh. brazil in time and it's just him going around to record stores and then going back to a hotel room with a record player Chopping and the sp303 and that's like where he would get a lot of that stuff. I don't know, that movie really gave an image of him as just sort of overflowing with ideas and creativity and just being laser focused on like, all I want to do is get new music. That's a time in like the early 2000s when digital music was around, but not in the same way. And it's not as available as it is to us now. So I definitely hear a lot of his influence in the music. It just seems to be bursting and overwhelmed with new ideas and new musical stuff. I think one thing that I observed that's unique about this album, because they're collaborating, I hear it a lot more of like a competition between the two of them. It seems more serious. I know like, mmm, food. Uh, <laughs> that's like a very funny MF Doom album. Yeah. I don't want to say funny, but there's a lot more jokes, a little bit more relaxed. Like Mad Villainy seemed a little like, I don't want to say anxious, but it was a serious affair. I think they know? both took it up a level. It sounds like they're competing with each other a little bit. This is not an album I listen to very frequently, but yeah, it was interesting to come back to it. 
because I would normally skip over it. Two real professionals coming together to create something that's a little outside of what either of them would do by themselves. I think that's one reason I like it a lot too, Ben. It's not only the two people as humans, but they also have multiple alter egos, like both of them do. There's some references, like it's highly self-referential, right? MF Dooms definitely has that, but he also has King Ghidra, Victor Vaughn, like these other characters that he kind of plays. And Mad Lib's version is a high-pitched version of himself because they refer to an early meeting of the two of them where MF Doom's lyric is, I heard a voice that sounded like Barry White say, Mm -hmm. sure, you're right, because Mad Lib's voice in person is actually really deep, really low. So him pitch-shifting his voice to be Quasimodo is like almost a joke on that. Right like a consummate artist and seeker of music. My top favorite track is All Caps. That's just like kind of a mission statement. So nasty that it's probably somewhat of a travesty having me. Then he told the people you can call me your majesty. Keep your battery charged. He know it won't stick, yo. And it's not his fault you kick slow. Should've let your trick hold, chick hold your sick glow. Plus nobody couldn't do nothing once he let the brick go. And you know I know that's a bunch of snow. The beat is so butter. Peep the slow cutter as he uttered a calm flow. Don't talk about my mom, yo. Sometimes he rhymes. I just love the flow in it. I love the beat. It really works. So one of the things that I came across as I was kind of just looking into the background of this album was that it got delayed Mm. from being released by a couple years because some of the initial demo tracks got leaked to the internet. (laughs) So we're talking like 2002. Kazaa, Limewire days. (laughs) 14 months before the album was released, an unfinished demo version was stolen and leaked on the internet. I guess this was like the beginning of that era. We're not going to make any money on this, so... Cats out of the bag. Put it on the shelf. Digital music. People are torrenting this album before you even release it. The concept of a stream did not exist. Yeah, so I wonder like if the positive reaction from the people who did download it compelled them to finish it and put it out there. I don't know. That's been happening for decades now, and I I don't know much about how that impacts music anymore, but I just assume stuff just leaks all the time. And was this originally released on Stone's Throw? Mm -hmm. Also a small label with a lot of really interesting variation of talent, and I wonder what sort of infrastructure they had for keeping control of their masters and stuff. Sure. The other thing I really wanted to touch on that Ben reminded me of, actually, when we first discussed doing this episode was there's some really awesome remixes of this album. Artist Fortet, he has a whole remix album of this where he made some instrumentals and then he mixed some tracks with Doom's vocals. I really love a couple of them, specifically Money Folder and Rhinestone Cowboy, which I think might be the two standouts from it. Poppy known as the grimy, limey, slimy, try me, blimey. Simply smashing in a fashion that's timely. Mad villain dashing in a beat rhyme crime spree. We rock the house like rock and roll. Got more soul than a sock with a hole. Set the stage with a goal. While I enjoy Mad Lib's beats like so much and they're so refreshing, I feel like these takes on them give a lot of life to the songs. The Money Folder one is just like a awesome driving synth beat it's probably the ultimate like music to drive your car to let he who is without sin cast the first stone after you whose last is doomed he's the worst known that i have your boom blown or either thirst bone rockets won't burst clones just don't curse the groan on his own microphone bring it everywhere he go so he can bring it to you live in stereo very strong memory of money folder in my friend's lowered Audi, you know, <laughs> driving over speed bumps to take me home at 2 a.m. and just <laughs> blasting it and thinking we were top of the planet, you know. 
So in this case, is this like an authorized remix where he's got the masters? Like I'm thinking from like an actual technical point of view, how he was able to get Doom's vocals onto there, or I don't know. Thanks to my iTunes library, I do have an image of the 45 that these were printed on, and I do believe it was published by Stone's Throw, so yeah. I would believe it is an authorized copy. Mm -hmm. Licensing information on Spotify is under Stone's Throw for I that, so that I think yeah, I think they own. So just out of curiosity, do you guys know much about remix culture in hip hop music? Not really. Like I often see remix stuff and I'm like, who's buying this? At the Who record? listens to yeah. this? <laughs> like, should I listen to the remix? Is the remix yeah. better than the original? For some reason, I'm drawn to like original, like whenever they've remastered or redone anything, I'm yeah. just like, what are they tinkering with? Any like first knee jerk reactions on remix <sighs> as a phenomenon? I commonly veer away from remixes because I think I've had more unsavory experiences enjoying a remix of a song I already like. If I end up wanting to hear the original more than the remix, I'm like, then maybe I shouldn't listen to the remix. Remixes, it's a whole part of music that's amazing. It's a whole part of the record store that is usually overlooked just because there's just too much information. You know, those 45s are a dollar and there's usually something kind of interesting there. I still have a soft spot for the Crystal Method and mm. all of the remix work they've done throughout the years. As a computer person, the early days of Sony Acid Pro, if you remember that like no. uh, kind of early digital audio workstation software, on their website you could download monthly different tracks. Yeah. And so then they'd have a competition among all the Sony Acid Pro users to make the best remix and then upload it again. When Depeche Mode came out with their album in 2005, I was a Sony Acid Pro user and that was... A lot of fun for me. You did your own. Remix. I did my own. It was pretty on the rails, uh, according to the original <laughs> intent of the song. Sure. You know, they had done the hard work of synchronizing the samples together, isolating them so that really you're just kind of painting just like you would in GarageBand, you know, which loops come in when. I've dabbled, I guess. My interaction with music has been so tactile. Keys on a piano, frets on a board. And I am very impressed with clearly hearing the products, Mad Villainy and Jay Dilla and Fortet, of what they can splice together. I would absolutely recommend taking a look at some of the videos of Madlib putting his samples together because mm -hmm. he is doing it like a musician who's very comfortable with his instrument, you know? Yeah. Getting those loops perfect on the first shot, it's incredibly satisfying. I think that's what everyone's looking for in that feeling of being able to remix stuff. We've talked about the multiverse a lot recently. I feel like the remix world is overwhelming to me because I'm like, there's one song, but actually there's a thousand forking paths of this song and exploring them all just makes my mind real. <laughs> like the idea of all those paths. I'd like to wrap this up by thanking you both for being very gentle with me in this uh, foray. I think I was more like a D minus student in my 12th grade AP English class, but my teacher uh, at the time was willing to move me along with a nice B minus C plus. The things that I appreciated about it that I wanted to share with you, I think you got them. And I didn't even have to jam it down your throat. You know, I think, <laughs> I think, I think you processed it on your own. To me, that's at least a B plus. Oh, thank you. Well, and thank you for letting me do some homework. Yeah. Uh, I heard this homework listening to your podcast a couple weeks ago and now, you know, get to be here. It's really exciting stuff to think about how you're reviewing Brad's homework. You're an active listener, always going to come up with a valuable insight. I appreciate that. I would like to spread similar sentiments to everyone. It's all about love. We love y'all.
Can I give you guys homework? Yeah. Ooh. That's a good idea. Yes. I would love to hear your thoughts on the 2005 album Ariel by Kate Bush. She is a very popular artist in this household. Tell me what you think. Thanks, Ben. We'll we'll report back and you can snicker at us talking about this. I'll send you an email or maybe a voicemail as a thank you. Yes, and thank you for hosting this edition of Our Tunes in your home. On your birthday. Happy birthday, Ben. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Our Tunes. This podcast is hosted by Brad Lanute, Lewis Weil, and special guest Ben Curry today. Produced by Robert Hughes. You can check us out on Instagram at Our Tunes Podcast or on Twitter at Our Tunes Pod. Thanks for listening. Disco at the other side of the rainbow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>